0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? All right, not bad. All right, let's welcome uh, Stephen and Sabrina Brown to the stage. Um, I'm excited because uh, I don't have to speak today. I get the week off. It's fantastic. All I got to do is ask so many questions. I love it. I love it. Well, so, hey, um, tell us a little bit about you and your family.
1: Yeah. Um, Go for it. Yeah, all right. Well, my name's Stephen. Oh, work. Sorry. My name is Steven. Um, a little bit about me. We're obviously I'm church planting, so that's exciting. Um, we've been starting this process for like almost a year now. Sabrina and I have been married for like five and a half years. Um, I lived in Kansas City for a while, but Oklahoma City is my home. We're both from here, so we knew we wanted to do ministry here. Um, you can talk about our girls and talk about a little bit about yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: I'm Sabrina. Um, Didn't I- Sabrina do a fantastic job? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I uh, was a teacher for quite a few years um, and then I had babies we have two little girls a two-year-old named Carmen
0: and a seven-month-old now named Maria and after babies I just wanted to stay home so that's what I'm doing now um, I do a little Mother's Day out thing and
1: I have hobbies but yeah that's, yeah. Nice. <laughs> that's perfect. that's perfect yep.
0: all right before we get to some hard-hitting questions mm-hmm. right, we're gonna go deep theologically we're gonna go of course missiology all the stuff All right, just real quick, I want this for both of you, all right, just rapid fire. Uh, I hope hope this doesn't cause any marital issues, but you know, all right, hey, better duo, better duo. Woody and Buzz or Mario and Luigi?
1: Yeah, the real questions, yeah. Um, You said Woody and Buzz or Mario and Luigi. Okay, the bass player had a Mario hat, so I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I gotta go with Woody and Buzz.
0: Woody and Buzz. Woody and Buzz. Buzz. They have
1: character growth together anyway, all right. There's something there. Yeah, yeah. there's something
0: there. Yeah. There's something there. They went all the way through Andy's life. I mean, come on. That's stability. Right? <laughs> uh, okay, better breakfasts, right?
1: Ooh.
0: Avocado toast okay. or French toast? Avocado toast, French toast?
1: So, unfortunately, I am gluten-free, so neither is my choice. But uh, if, if before that, no toast. Uh, French toast was my choice okay. through and through. Avocado toast.
0: Avocado toast. Avocado right. toast is pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Last one. Okay. Then we'll get to the, some some heavy eating sure. ones. Sure. Uh, better on a day off, all day in the house
1: yeah. or all day out of the house? Yeah. Out. Out. Yeah. In. Oh, <laughs> So I wish you could like, can I transport like our bedroom out of the house? Is that possible? So we're like no, no, out no, no, but no. still in? Because that would so be my choice. Okay, all right, That's fair enough, good, fair right. enough. I'll let you guys figure it out. I'd say in. But
0: hey, um, in all seriousness, just kind of getting into Northeast Fellowship. We're super yeah. excited for you guys. Oh, I just wanted everybody to hear, uh, we are a church plant. We have our second birthday next Sunday. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Uh, but we are not in competition with other churches. There are plenty of people not connected to a church in the Oklahoma City Metro. And so we are excited to have a new church being started. Uh, but I want to hear your guys' heart. so uh, why? Do you want to
1: plant a church? Why plant a church? Yeah. Um, this is a unique, our church plant is a unique situation. So I, um, I knew I wanted a pastor. I went to seminary, moved back to Oklahoma City, knew I wanted a pastor. We were plugged in at Cherokee Hills. Church planting was not something I saw myself doing. I was like, that's a cool thing for other people who are better at that kind of thing. Uh, that's what I was thinking. And then about a year ago, uh, Harvey Sparks, another pastor in the city, and then my pastor, Chris Gulley at Cherokee Hills, Approached me about this opportunity. it was a church that had kind of um, just recently um, um, closed its doors, so there's definitely a replant element involved in this as well um, so i they, they basically just asked if we would start a new work there so um, there was a core group from that former church who wanted to be a part of it, but ultimately it'd be it 'd be a new church and so i um, I was like, "You need to give me time to pray about it Harvey didn 't think I wanted to do it, but I knew it was it was one of those things where it's like with Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God would save the Ninevites. And so I, I didn't want to start praying for church planning because I knew I would want to start church planning. Um, and so that's, that's what happened. We just started praying. I immediately asked Sabrina, I was like, should I even consider this or pray about this? And then she said yes, and then that was, that was it. Yeah. I love
0: it, I love it. And uh, February, we're doing a Jonah series, so way to tease that, perfect. Right. Yeah. You didn't know that, but that yeah. was perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, so Northeast Fellowship is in the Northeast... Uh, part of Oklahoma City? Why, why Northeast OKC?
1: Yeah, so, well, a, a couple things. So we, we're like just south of Edmond. We're in this weird area where if you look on a map, it looks like there's nothing. Um, but the reality is that area is growing and growing really fast. So we just knocked on doors yesterday around a neighborhood close to, the, right across the street, there's another neighborhood popping up. Like Oklahoma City's growing, I don't think people like really realize to what extent, like everywhere, and that area specifically is growing too. So primarily, we were called there because of that that existing church. So that's why. But the Lord is absolutely sovereign over this whole situation. Recognizes growth in the area and wants to start a new growth in that church at the same time. So um, really exciting stuff. Yeah, um, that's yeah, good. that's kind of so why.
0: So, do you guys have a location to meet at? Are you going to be portable, and a, a school I have to settle this up? What's Me going on?
1: We do have a building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's got to be nice. Look,
1: y'all don't have to worry about foundation work here. That's all I have to say, because that's what we've been dealing with. So there's ups and downs to both. I'll, I'll say that. That's good.
0: That's good. Well, I'm excited for that. So uh, who's, uh, who's a part of the team? Yeah. You got a team you're growing?
1: Yeah. Raise your hand if you're with our, we brought a bunch of people here today, like some in the back, some in the middle there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've got a really good core group from our sending church and a few from other churches as well who are, who are joining us. We launch on March 17th. I think that's a, uh, something I should probably talk about later. But anyway, um, so there's when still we time.
0: Services? That was the next question.
1: Okay, there you go. Yeah, so we will launch services on March 17th. So that's our launch Sunday. Um, but on our team, we've got myself, um, as a teaching pastor, and then Preston Norman is back there. Um, he's our executive pastor. So there's two pastors um, so far uh, that we have for our church plant. He's a, good at a lot of things I'm not good at, so it, it works really, really well. Um, yeah, team. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And worship,
0: you guys are just kind of like out of luck.
1: You don't have anybody that can lead worship. at Yeah, no, we, we have no singers. Yeah, we're we're yeah pretty yeah. done for there. But uh, yeah, that's no, awesome. we we have a really really blessed group of uh, of people, and, and um, yeah, it's a it's a good team. Yeah,
0: that's good. All right, so what do you guys what do you guys doing now? March. Yeah. 17th, is yeah. launch Sunday, yeah. got a couple months, What's what are you guys doing with the team and yeah. the church right
1: now? Yeah, so recurringly we have a community group that meets every week on Monday nights at the church. Um, we'll move that to homes eventually uh, when we grow a little bit, but... Right now we're just meeting at the church uh, every Monday night at 6.30. Um, we do Bible study, we, have, we pray together, we sing together. Um, so that's recurring. Um, we do prayer walks around our community, around neighborhoods and, and around our community. We just knocked on doors and did some canvassing yesterday, asking people some questions, what they see needs are in our community. Um, we'll have an event on campus. We're doing a lot of building and grounds work right now. Um, so we're doing a lot of random things, um, for sure. Yeah, good. yeah. So
0: I heard somebody describe uh, a church is kind of like chess. Uh, and so there's a lot of different pieces on the chessboard, but what happens in our modern worship is we use uh, Sunday service kind of like the queen, right? It's powerful. It can move any direction as far as it wants, uh, but everything else is a part of church too. And you guys are doing church right now. You're just not doing Sunday service. So yeah. I love that. They're not waiting to start the yeah. service. Uh, they're a church right now. They're just having public services starting yeah. on the 17th of it's March. True. So uh, I'm excited for you guys. How can we as Refuge yeah. Church uh, best come alongside and serve you guys?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the most, I say this intentionally, the most important and obvious one is prayer, absolutely. So prayer is not like a precursor to anything. It's not what you do beforehand. It's not what you do and hope, like to get God to do something. It is a part of the work. So you guys praying for our church is absolutely partnering um, in the gospel. And where I'm going to be preaching from today, Paul even talks about that. Um, So, at least earlier on in the letter. Um, But prayer is is huge. Pray specifically, though, for for the leadership of the church. First of all, that we would not seek out our own desires, that we would seek what the Lord has for our church. And then pray for all the members who are are joining and all the future members who are going to be joining and going to be affected by our church, that uh, ultimately they would be receptive to the gospel. I just want to see people know Christ and make him known. Um, so that's why we exist. Um, another way, um, any like service projects we're doing, like you guys are all invited to those. So I can always pass information on to Logan. We need help with a lot of stuff we're doing. Um, so there's like a lot of random like missions things we'll be doing, obviously building and ground stuff we could always use help for. So random things like that we also, we also need help with as well. Well, hey, uh, will you give
0: me an hour? If you commit to pray for them uh, till March seventeenth, we can continue every day. There we go.
1: We're gonna pray for you guys. And and right
0: now, what I want to do, we do this every week. Would you guys just put your hands out in front of you, just palms up, uh, just a posture of uh, surrender? What we want to do is want to get our hearts ready for a move of God. So, arms out, palms up. uh, Close your eyes. That posture of surrender. Just take a deep breath. And remember that God is just as near. As the air you're breathing let's pray God today would you guide us closer to you help our minds put away the frustrations of this past week put away the distractions of the coming week we want to fully focus on you we come empty with nothing to offer but surrender fill us up as only you can Holy Spirit, move in here today with power. We believe that in advance, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Uh, hey, let's give a warm welcome to Stephen as he brings the word.
1: Okay. Gonna try to be centered here. Okay, perfect. Well, good morning. Um, I would introduce myself, but kind of already done that. Um, so, if you would, open your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 specifically is where we will be looking. I'll read later on, but go ahead and turn there. We'll start in verse 21 of Philippians. Um, I'm super excited to be here for for a number of reasons. First, because I love to preach. I love to to herald what God has for his people. That always excites me, and doing it in a new place is even more exciting because I get to bring the word to people I've never met before and partner in the gospel with people I've never met before, so I'm very, very excited. I, uh, so it was also When Logan told me, I was like, all right, what am I preaching on? He was like, whatever. So it's the first week, like, we're starting the new year. Kind of made me a little nervous. Um, I, I have to search through all of Scripture to kind of find what the Lord has for us this morning. Certainly a little bit nervous, but in that Monday meeting I was talking about, we're going through our community group, we're going through the book of Philippians already. And there is a couple reasons that I picked that book specifically for Monday mornings. Paul talks about first joy in the faith is a constant theme throughout unity and purpose. That means purpose for the church, but also cooperation and mission. And I knew all of those were perfect for this week because we're partnering with you guys in a really real and tangible way. And Paul talks about how we are to do that in our passage this morning. So if you would, I'm going to read for us. Again, this is Philippians chapter 1, 21 through the end of chapter 1. So read with me. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now here that I have. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you reveal your word to your church by your spirit. And we ask that you do all of these things for Christ's name's sake. Amen. If you know anything about the book of Philippians, it only exists because of one man. And that man's name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a member of this church in, Ph- in Philippi. And his name actually means of Aphrodite. Further highlighting what God's redemptive work can do in a person. Of Aphrodite, he now works for the living and true God. Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to bring Paul a gift. This certainly was monetary. They had money involved, but also encouragement. Update on this church that Paul planted. You could read about it in the book of Acts. Paul explains this gift later on in the letter in 4.18. But I have received everything in full, and I have abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Epaphroditus, though, becomes very sick while he's on the mission field with Paul, while he's providing this gift, almost dies from the sickness, but recovers, thanks to the Lord, and Paul sends him back to the church. And so Vance Pittman, I think, puts this so well. He becomes the world's first short-term missionary, Epaphroditus does. And because of Epaphroditus' bravery and the church's partnership with Paul in the gospel, we have this letter today. And this church was not some wealthy, giant, megachurch, right? 2 Corinthians 8, 2-3, Paul talks about the churches in this area. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflowed in wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, So this church did not have a lot of money, but they had to partner with gospel missionaries, and so they did. And just as the church in Philippi did, so too we are to partner in missions across our city, across our state, and across the world. So if you don't take anything else away from this, here's what I want you to remember. Because of our salvation in Christ Jesus, because you have placed your faith in Christ, you have now a duty to the person sitting next to you. The gospel produces something in us. It produces togetherness. We are partnered in it, we suffer because of it, and we contend for it together. That includes Refuge Church here in the Mustang, Yukon area. It includes uh, us at Northeast Fellowship. All of us should partner in and contend for the gospel together. And to accomplish this, Paul gives us two thoughts in our passage. Today, he shows two states the believer should always be in. First, if you take notes, I say this, please take notes. If you don't, become a note taker. But first, we should have a mindset of selflessness, and second, we should adopt an attitude of unity. So first, the first mindset we see, we should have a mindset of selflessness, a mindset of selflessness. We see this in verses 21 through 26. Allow me to reread. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. While we don't share Paul's same situation here, certainly, we have a much different life than Paul did, the attitudes he displays here are something we should adopt, the exact same attitudes and mindset we should have. What does he say? Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is one of the most famous verses in Scripture, and rightfully so for absolutely good reason. The Christian has nothing to fear. And keep in mind, Paul is writing from prison that we read earlier in this chapter. In verse 7 he says, Indeed, it is right of me to think of this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In the midst of prison, Paul's attitude is, either way, Christ is exalted in my life. If I live, Christ continues to shine in me. His glory spreads because of the work I'm doing. If I die, I shall gain him fully. He concerns not about his situation. He's not concerned if he gets out of prison. He's not concerned about his health or well-being. He only cares for Christ and his magnification. And is that how we view life? Do we spend our lives thinking, praise God, he's given me another day to magnify Christ. I don't do that every day. But Paul then expands on this thought. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Here's the thing about Paul's attitude, the same one we should have. He is utterly unconcerned with himself. Like, let me say that again. He is completely and utterly unconcerned with himself. Firstly, in verse 21, what does he care for? Christ's magnification in his life and in his death. But then here, verses 23-24, through he cares about the other believers in Philippi. Now, certainly Paul is not contemplating taking his own life in prison. We know from the rest of Scripture in Paul's writings that God is sovereign over life and death. Paul recognizes that. He simply poses this dilemma about wanting to be with the Lord but needing to stay because he wishes for this church in Philippi to know that he only does the work of the ministry for Christ's magnification and the well-being of the church, not so he gets anything from it. That's what he wants them to know. And I think we can often think of selflessness only as the person in front of you, which is true. It's placing them before yourself. Okay, but Christ is also somebody you should place before yourself. And Paul absolutely does that here. When we wake up in the morning, our first thought should be of Christ Jesus and what he's done. He continues, 25, verse 25. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming again to you, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Again, his only concern is that Christ is magnified in the body of believers at Philippi. We see his desire to continue on in order that their joy and faith may progress. His desire is to be free from prison but it's to be free from prison so he can continue to do the ministry that got him in prison in the first place. Do you see? If you know me well at all, I'm a huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan. Um, I care deeply, perhaps too deeply, about the good of the Thunder. When they do good, I'm doing real good. You can just ask my wife. When they do bad, I'm doing pretty bad. Now, this season, they're doing pretty good, minus the last two games. I'll talk, I can't talk about that right now. But Now, magnify the way I feel, pick your favorite sports team, something you care about, magnify it by a hundred, and maybe you have how Paul feels about the other churches. Like, maybe. I don't even know if I care about my own church like Paul does for another church. When we're doing well, when the churches are doing well, Paul is joyful, and when they aren't, he provides correction and encouragement to get them back to that joy in Christ Jesus. That's all he cares about. So let me ask you this morning, do you care about the others in your church, Do you have a mindset of selflessness about the others around you? Do you seek after their interests? Do you place the needs of Christ and his church above your own? That's the only question that Paul is really um, asking here. So first, we have to have a mindset of selflessness, but second, we are to adopt an attitude of unity. Again, we are to adopt an attitude of unity. And again, we see this to close out the chapter, verses 27-27 through 30. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I have. If we truly have that mindset of selflessness that Paul displays in the first few verses, we'll naturally have an attitude of unity. He commands us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. Now certainly there's nothing we can do to achieve the gospel. We can never be worthy enough to achieve it or attain it ourselves. Paul even speaks of this in Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works, so no one can boast. Christ has given us the gospel despite our worth and despite our works. Again, Christ came down because we could not fulfill the law ourselves. He had to do it for us and be the perfect sacrifice for us. If you haven't placed your faith in him, do that this morning. You cannot earn grace. However, Paul certainly cares about the conduct of the believer after they've placed their faith in Christ Jesus. There's a way we are to live because we are in Christ Because we are in Christ, we have to live our lives worthy of that calling, worthy of that gospel. He then says, Then whether I come and see you or an absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel. This attitude of selflessness leads to living lives worthy of the gospel, which naturally leads to unity amongst the body. Paul has a desire for the church in Philippi to stand firm in one spirit, One accord contending together for the gospel. Jesus cares about the unity of his church. He cares that we share the same mission. He cares that we share the same spirit, the same attitude. Why is it that we don't care? We are often, in fact, catalysts for disunity in the church, not unity. Not the other way around. Don't forget that the brother or sister you're sitting next to has the same goal that you do. You're in this together. You don't just see each other on Sundays, maybe occasionally throughout the week. Like, you are in this together. I don't care how different you are. And there's a lot of different people in this room. If, then, we truly have unity within the church, Paul closes out this section with with what we're going to encounter. Not being frightened in verse 28 by your opponents in any way. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God, for as it it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, now hear that I have. When we have an attitude of unity, Paul says that the church will not be frightened in any way by your opponents. And I just wait, want to make something clear that our opponents today are nothing like the opponents that Paul was facing. Paul's opponents put him in prison and tried to kill him. Maybe I've been made fun of for my faith. Maybe. Those are the opponents that we face today. But it's not hard to notice that we live in a severely postmodern, post-religious world where many are becoming increasingly hostile to the church, and especially those to hold Scripture as truth. So, Paul, but Paul tells us that there's nothing to be afraid of. Even if our faith one day lands us in prison, why should we fear? To live as Christ and to die as gain. And just to emphasize, this isn't an, a non fear. He's not saying that it means we don't have to be afraid at all, meaning we won't be persecuted. Sweet, no fear, easy life, no suffering. That's absolutely not what Paul is saying. We don't have to be afraid because we will suffer. Do you see that? Not because we won't, because we will suffer. What does he say not to be afraid of? Your opponents, meaning that there is already opponents. There's already active persecution, and still they have no reason to fear. And it's important to note this. When when Paul says this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, he's not saying that suffering is the way to achieve salvation. Everyone suffers. But to suffer for Christ's sake is certainly a sign that someone has the Spirit living in them and will one day see their salvation fully when he returns. Are you looking forward to that day? Do you see suffering not as an opposition to what you want to do, but as a way to further magnify Christ in your life, to unify with the other believers around you? He continues to remind the church and us today that the call to follow Christ is not a cushy life. We have been called to believe in him, but also called to suffer for him. When you have an attitude of selflessness, an attitude of unity, you recognize that our time is short and our mission is important. And we cannot do it alone, by any means. Do you think Paul, or do you think the church in Philippi would be fearful if there was disunity? Probably. Do you think Paul would have received encouragement and a gift from them if they were not sharing a mindset of selflessness? They couldn't agree on who, which missionary to send to, or how much, or what we should give, or what we should do, who should, who should we send? But there was unity. And so they partnered with Paul in the gospel. And so that's what I feel about your church. You're partnering with our church in the gospel. There's unity there. Continue on in that unity. And as I move to close, I I want us to remember back to Epaphroditus. Without whom, we don't have this letter. We don't have the rich story and God's word in the book of Philippi without this man. I want to read later on in this letter, chapter 2. Paul explains Epaphroditus a little more. In verses 28 through 30. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, that's Epaphroditus, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Again, he was just nearly deathly sick. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. See, Epaphroditus had the same mindset as Paul, a mindset of selflessness and an attitude of unity. It was the same. Why did he risk death? He didn't just hop on the turnpike, drive 20 minutes, see Paul, be like, here you go, drive back, right? Like, he had to travel there to Rome, probably is where Paul's writing this, in prison, take him a gift. He risked robbery, uncertainty, he didn't know if he'd make it. He almost died from sickness. So why should the church hold people like him in honor? Why did Epaphroditus do that? Because he did it for the sake of the gospel. He wanted to see the gospel advance. He knew Paul was advancing it, and he had to be a part of it. There was no option for him. Is your desire to see the gospel advance so much that you have to be a partner in the gospel with other churches? Not just in prayer, also financially, physically. Is that your attitude? So I want to call you to something. What What is God calling you, or ask you a question, what is he calling you, this church, Refuge Church, to do? How is he calling you as a church, collectively, but also each other individually, to partner in the gospel with other believers? What would your own life look like if you placed the interests of Christ and his church above your own? What would your workplace look like? What would your school look like? What would your home look like if you placed the needs of Christ above your own? More importantly, what would everyone at Riverwood Elementary, the families in this community, how would they see you if you placed the interests of Christ above your own? Whatever it may be, I pray that it's centered in an attitude of selflessness and unity with the goal of contending for the gospel together. To advance it and make Christ's name known. Let's pray.